All right, now let's turn to Obadiah, all of you, for just a moment. It's a very short uh, epistle, of course. It's only one chapter. And the important thing is that Israel is going to triumph. To come to the last part of the chapter, beginning with verse 17, Israel is going to triumph. And Edom, or Esau, is going to be destroyed. And God is pronouncing judgment on Edom because of her sin and also because of our opposition to Israel. God is pronouncing judgment on Edom because of our own sin and because of her opposition to Israel. Now there is a very famous text in this epistle and one that should mean a lot to us and one that perhaps your pastor ought to be using more frequently, but it's the 11th verse. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, even thou wast as one of them. There's no neutrality. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and the foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. Now let me give you the geographical and the historical setting of this. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau, and the Israelites are the descendants of Jacob. Jacob and Esau, two brothers. And God chose Jacob, and Jacob went to Mount Zion and built Jerusalem. Esau went down to what is now called Petra, the rock, and built his city and built his kingdom. And Petra is at the south end of the Dead Sea, while Jerusalem is to the north end of the Dead Sea. Now it's been my privilege, of course, and you'll remember some years ago on one of the journeys that I made to Jerusalem, Dr. J. Harlan O'Dell and I and two others flew down to Petra, and I have been to Petra. And we went in through the eye of the needle, through that little winding slit that gets you in this, to this immense chasm inside these great red rocks. Tremendous pile, and they call it Mount Esau. Mount Esau. And Esau had the perfect fortress for her defense and for her protection. And the Edomites built a great civilization, a great city there. In fact, it rivaled Jerusalem in its glory and in its security. Jerusalem on the top there of the hills had nothing like Petra to protect it. No great stone embankments and walls on every hand. It's a magnificent place. And it's red, of course, and Esau means red. And Edom is red. It's all red. But what we have here is the story of God's judgment upon Esau and the destruction of his city. And that city is destroyed, of course, and it doesn't exist anymore at all. 
There's nothing there. They've now put a tourist. Uh, when we were back there, they didn't even have that, but they put a little tourist place there now where tourists can come in and eat and sleep and have some uh, tourist uh, attractions. But the little epistle of Obadiah is the prophet who denounces Esau because of her awful sin tells Esau that God is going to give the kingdom to Israel and that Israel is going to survive and prevail. Also, the little epistle of Obadiah has in it a prophetic touch in view of the 61st chapter of Isaiah where the Lord Jesus Christ comes in the great victories of Armageddon. He comes with these... Uh, Garments dyed red from Edom. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness of wrath of Almighty God. And the coming of the Lord and the judgment of God upon the nations is also figuratively represented here in the destruction of Edom in this passage. Now, the geographical situation is that Edom was down here to the south of the Dead Sea, below it in the mountains there, and Jerusalem was on the other side of the Dead Sea, at the other end, and up in the mountains there. And here were two great kingdoms, Jacob with Jerusalem, and here was Esau with Petra. Now, those physical conditions are in that land today. Now, beloved, let's get to the heart of this. God is condemning Edom because Edom fought his chosen one, Israel. And in the 11th verse, you have a description. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, thou wast as one of them. Here are the strangers that came and attacked Jerusalem. Here were the foreigners that entered into the gates of Jerusalem. Here were those that came to cast lots for Jerusalem. And where were you, the brother of Jacob? Where were the descendants of, of Esau? Did they stand by and not do anything to come to the aid of Jerusalem and to the aid of the children of Israel? No, they didn't. And God is telling Esau and telling Edom that in the day that you stood on the other side, you belonged to the same category and you were in the same company as those who went in and sacked the city. The fact that you stood there and didn't do anything to help Jerusalem. The fact that you stood there and didn't go to the aid of Jerusalem against the strangers and against the enemy. Edom, you and Jacob weren't strangers. You were brothers. And the descendants of Israel in Jerusalem and the descendants of Esau in Edom, in the hour when the strangers came to attack the city of Jerusalem, you should have been willing to give them some assistance and to give them some help. And God says, because you didn't do it, you were as one of them. Now, this line of thinking, as you have it revealed here, is exceedingly significant, and it's of the greatest importance to us today. But may you look down just a little further, and I want you to notice verse 7. All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even unto the border, 
The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound unto thee. There is none that understand there is none understanding in him. Shall I not in the day saith the Lord even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? God is telling Esau he is going to destroy their mount, and of course it has been destroyed. And he is going to destroy their people because they lack understanding. They lack that understanding which God requires of men in the fear of God. And they had turned aside to other gods, to other... uh, They had become as the pagan and as the heathen. Beloved, I'm going to make this application tonight in the areas where you and I live. I love this text. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, even thou wast as one of them. Here is Israel. Here is the cause of the gospel. Here is the testimony of the truth. Here are the mighty things that God has revealed to us and which he's committed to us on this earth that we should maintain and we should preach. And beloved, in the day that you stand over on the other side, when these great issues are at stake, you are the same as those who are assaulting the strangers who are moving in to pull down the standard. And the people who do nothing in the hour of struggle are giving aid and comfort to the enemies of the truth. And that's the great principle that's written in the book of Obadiah. And it's an abiding principle. And beloved, it is absolutely the fact that when great issues are at stake and battles are joined, the people who are committed to the truth and committed to the great testimony of the Lord, they are going to come to the help of the Lord against the mighty. And they're not going to stand on the other side. They're not going to be neutral. They're not going to run away from the battle. They're going to come into that battle and do what they can in the hour of crisis to help preserve and maintain the truth itself. Jesus Christ said, He who is not with me is against me. And God is condemning Edom because he was not with Israel and not being with Israel, ye were as the same individuals that went in and ransacked the city. You didn't come to the aid of Israel against these enemies. You know, there's such a thing as the sin of silence. There's such a thing as the sin of neutrality. There's such a thing as the sin of running away. That's a sin. And God condemned Edom and put her under judgment because of her sin against Israel. That's what he did. Oh, beloved, in the day in which you and I live, here's a testimony of Israel. Here's a testimony of the Lord. Here's a struggle for the truth. And here are the men who are carrying the standard and they're carrying the witness here. And then here are all the rest of them that are fighting them. They're striking to fight them. And beloved, in that hour, you who stand on the other side and don't do anything, you're just like one of them. You're helping the wrong crowd. You're giving aid and comfort to the wrong side. And that's what God wants you to see. And beloved, when it comes to the gospel, you don't give aid to the wrong side. 
when it comes to preserving the gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't give aid to the wrong side. You either give aid to the right side and help preserve that testimony and that truth to the honor of God, or you're going to be held responsible for your neutrality. The other day, down at Cape May, and beloved, we've had a magnificent season at Cape May, the best we've ever had. But I never saw such a response and openness on the part of all these people that come in. They came in and they said, Oh, Dr. McIntyre, they came with these questions and one lady got up and says, Oh, Dr. McIntyre, what are you going to do with all these people over here that are neutral and they won't take a stand? I said, Lady, they're not neutral. In the day that they stand on the other side, even they are as one of them. And it's a part of the cause and the purpose of the devil to neutralize a lot of people so they won't be over here helping the cause of the Lord. And that's a part of his strategy. And right now in the battle with the communist world, here's the communist world in its aggressions and in its great worldwide plan to destroy us. And here the communists in that battle of theirs are seeking to neutralize a great segment of mankind so they won't be used and they won't be able to aid the forces that are seeking to destroy or to hinder the communist movement. The forces of evil always try to neutralize a sizable section so that these forces cannot be used against them. And God says here to Obadiah, or rather Obadiah the prophet arises, and he said, Edom, your sin is that when Jerusalem was under fire, when Israel was under siege, when Israel had her difficulties, you didn't rise up and say, Israel, we're coming to be an ally. We're coming to help you, Israel. We are Esau's children, and you're Jacob's children, and we're going to help you against our common enemy. But they didn't do it. You know what they did? They rejoiced over the difficulties that Jerusalem had. They sat back and they rejoiced over Jerusalem's difficulties. And that's what you have in this book. You have it so clearly spelled out. They were, they were just happy. Look in verse 12. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger, neither should thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Look at that. You see what happened? There was Edom down here with their big fortresses and all their supplies, and they said, Oh, hooray, Jerusalem's in trouble. Let them have it. And they rejoiced when Jerusalem was in trouble. Beloved, there are a lot of fundamentalists in this country tonight who are standing on the other side over there and they are as one of them. And a lot of them are sitting out there secretly saying, well, we're glad McIntyre's having a lot of trouble. They're saying the same thing. And yet they're believers and they're fundamentalists. But they're standing on the other side. Beloved, when an issue's raised like it is in this country tonight, Everybody who sees the issues ought to be in joined together unitedly to lift up the standard and to win the, vac win the victory. And God says, Edom, you're going to be destroyed and I'm going to judge you because in the day of great crisis you stood on the other side and you were just like one of the enemies. 
Neutrality helps the enemy. My, I wish we could get some of the Christians to see all this. You know what James says? Whosoever is a friend of the world is what? The enemy of God. You may be a believer and you may say you're in the church, but beloved, if you're out here a friend of this old world and getting comfort from the world and getting warm at the fires of the world and enjoying the pleasures of the world, you may say you're a Christian, but you're helping the, you're helping the enemies of God. You're helping the enemies of God. Whosoever is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. There is one place and only one place for God's people to stand, and that's in the very heart of the struggle of the day into which God has called his people to preach the gospel and to be faithful unto him. That's the only place there is. Now will you turn to the last and we'll close. It's a little epistle. I think we ought to use that text a little bit more. But this, this, this text applies to all these brethren of the National Association of Evangelicals, you know. They want to walk in the middle. This, this applies to such institutions as uh, Westminster Seminary and schools like that that won't take a stand anymore. And then when Dr. McIntyre gets in the, in the fight and these things are at issue, you know, that's the way these things fall. They say, in the day that thou stoodest on the other side. Oh, no, they're not out actively fighting us, but they're over here on the other side. And they won't do anything. And I see these issues. Now, verse 17. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Beloved, God promises little Israel, even though Esau didn't come and help them. God holds Esau responsible and Edom responsible. But even in spite of it, God says the day is going to be when Mount Zion shall be delivered. I'll deliver Mount Zion. Mount Zion is going to be established. The Messiah is going to come and put his feet down in that great day on the Mount of Olives. And I'll take care of Zion. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. Now, beloved, there are some who actually believe, and it may be true, that even though Edom is now destroyed, and you can go and look at uh, Petra today, and there's a den for bats and birds and all kinds of creeping things around there. These cliffs that they dwell in, these caves that are up in the high levels of Petra, but there are those who are telling us that during the tribulation period, Esau's descendants are going to get back in there. They're going to go back to Esau. And just as Israel will, will build the temple in Jerusalem, Edom, Esau, they're going to go back and they're going to rebuild Petra. And Petra's going to be a glory. And then in the day when Christ comes, he comes to deliver the children of Israel in the hour of Armageddon. Then you'll have the fulfillment of that verse. It could very easily be that. However, there's no evidence of anything going back to Petra yet. But it could be. Verse 19. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain of the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead.
The point is that the possessions of Esau, the whole area, everything that Esau had will finally be in the hands of the children of Israel. They'll have it all. They'll have every bit of it. Now that's Obadiah. Beloved, as we come to the end of the age and we're coming so rapidly to it, God says to you and me, don't you get in the middle and don't you compromise. When the issues are drawn here in behalf of my gospel, don't you stand over on the other side and mock or get any pleasure out of it. Don't you do it. And beloved, it is an awful sin. It is an awful sin for men to run away from the struggle where the Word of God is involved. We mustn't run away from these struggles. We must come and stand in them and lift up our testimony in true obedience to Jesus Christ. Oh, if there ever was an hour when fundamentalists need to realize that they should stand and that they should not run, and that they should not be neutral, and that they should not sit around and say, well, that's not for me. Beloved, if you feel that way, you're going to be saved. You'll be saved. You've been born again. But I'll tell you, beloved, you're going to get there by the skin of your teeth. You're going to be saved without works that will be rewarded. You'll go empty-handed into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. In order to have something in your hands, you have to have some works that will abide. In order to have something in your hands, you have to have some victories that have been won in the great struggle in behalf of the gospel of Jesus Christ here upon this earth. And there is no neutrality. There can be none whatsoever. And the purpose of a little epistle like this is to help sharpen the edges here where you can't slip over. The purpose of a little epistle like this is to tell you that if you're tempted to stand over on the other side in an hour when the great issue's drawn, then you like the ones that are carrying on the battle against the truth that you say you're for. Imagine Esau, you're my brother, brother Esau with Israel, and Esau was rejoicing in his brother's trouble instead of helping him. You know, I could make a lot of applications of this if you just want me to. I think I could even call names. I think I could get very definite and particular about these things. No question about it. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, even thou wast as one of them. Are you on the wrong side? I think we need to start thinking about sides. I think we need to start talking about whose side are you on? Where do you stand? These are the questions. And God raises these issues here in Obadiah just as clearly as they can be raised and nobody can doubt them for one minute. Oh, give me a complete and wholehearted and fulsome commitment to the gospel and to the demands of the word of God upon our lives and let's identify ourselves with Israel and with the people of God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank Thee tonight for this great epistle. It's short, our Father, but it's powerful. And we thank Thee that there 
is no discharge, no discharge. That thou hast called us as a people to stand for great things in our day, and oh, those who've wandered away to the other side, those who've lost an understanding of the issues and the cause and the strife, God, speak to many, and may they be revived, and may they recognize that God has laid down these great principles in which our Savior said, He who is not for me is against me. May we be for the Lord and never, never trifle so that it could be said that we gave aid to our, to our enemy. And, oh, Father, those who've labored with us and walked with us and stood with us, we ask that they shall never be tempted to go out and give aid to the enemy against us. Help us, Lord. For Christ's sake we pray, amen. All right, beloved, that's a precious little text. We ought to have been using it more frequently, but there it is. Now let's turn and close the service tonight by this great hymn. Have you any room for Jesus? Have you any room for Jesus?
Beloved, we've got a, quite a few visitors and strangers here tonight that aren't connected with our church, of course. And I don't know what your spiritual condition is. I don't know what the condition of your heart and life is. But we've been singing this tonight, Have You Any Room for Jesus? And that's the question that I want to leave with you, and I want you to answer it. Have you been born again? Have you been saved? Dr. Gayro stood here tonight and told you about my preaching out on the truck. And that's the night, that was the afternoon when I got the policeman saved. I'll never forget as long as I live. The policeman didn't think he could accept the Lord there in uniform, but after the meeting was over, he came around to my hand, took my hand and said, yes, I accepted the Lord and I want you to know it. And beloved, I've seen some marvelous instances of salvation this summer down at Cape May. Real, true, genuine instances of salvation. We had an old man the other night accept the Lord. He made the happiest man out of you ever saw. He was a different man the rest of the week. We got him straightened out with the Lord. And he was born again. And if there's anybody here tonight that isn't saved, and I mean saved, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, we want you to accept him as your Savior tonight and settle this thing once and for all. And Jesus Christ will come in and say, Lord, here's my life. I'll give it to you. I'll do what you want me to do. One thing, I'm not going to stand on the other side any longer and be like one of them. I'm going to stand on the Lord's side. And I'm going to be with the Lord. And if there's anybody here tonight that isn't saved and isn't right with the Lord, I invite you, I give you the invitation, I beseech you in the name of the Lord, to say that you will do it now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time that is acceptable to the Lord. And as long as God has left the door open and made it acceptable, as long as God has done this, that moment is this very moment for you. That moment is this very moment for you to accept the Lord Jesus Christ and believe it. Now we're moving into some difficult days. I'm going to talk and preach as I've never done before in my life. And I pray that we can upset the whole Philadelphia area. I want to get all of eastern Pennsylvania, all of Delaware, all of New Jersey. I want to get this area just a seething with these issues. And out of it, we'll see souls saved. Out of it, we'll see men and women confessing Christ. And I hope that we can see many, many hundreds and perhaps even thousands leave the National Council of Churches and start churches and be in churches that are true and will stand upon the Bible. God has given us, beloved, the greatest opportunity we've ever had to reach our area. It's on us now. And I pray that out of a message like this tonight, somebody will be saved because the Spirit of God moves in hours like this and saves souls. And I pray that in the days that are just ahead of us, as God guides us step by step, that we'll be able to point men to Jesus and men will be saved out of this conflict into which we're going. We're moving into the most deadly conflict we've ever had anything to do with. We're going to have the powers of darkness working with the political forces to silence a radio station and to raise precedents and to make decisions that will affect the whole broadcasting world and the broadcasting of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this isn't in California, it's in Philadelphia. This isn't in Washington, it's in Philadelphia. 
And here in this area, beloved, God lays the challenge down to us. And in the day that you stand on the other side, you're going to be like one of them. In the day that you stand on the other side, you'll be like one of them. And there's no neutrality in this great fight for Christ, and there's no neutrality in this great battle for freedom. There is no neutrality. And I want to get everybody over on the right side in this struggle. And God has given you and me tonight, think of me going out there this afternoon and raising over $5,000. Think of it. Who would have ever thought it? I had no such dream or idea. It didn't even enter my head. I went out there and had a meeting. And their doctor said he needed $500. I says, all right, doctor, we'll get you five and then I'll raise 1000 for our radio. And before we got through, we had three people who gave $1,000 each. And one woman says, I'll give you $500. And we got $4,500 for the radio broadcast to extend this thing over this country. Think of something, something happened. I'm about ready to go ask for some more. I'm going to go ask for some more. I'm about ready to go on the radio here and ask for all the money I need to pay the lawyer's bills. And we'll put this station up where it belongs. I don't know what's going to happen. The Lord has got a lot of things ahead. Now let us pray. <clears throat> our Father and our God, we thank Thee tonight for the struggles of this day. We thank Thee for bringing the pastor back from the long journey out to York and that Thou didst give him great liberty and great blessing in that place. We thank Thee that we brought this blessing back to this place tonight and that Thy word has been honored in this pulpit tonight. And Lord, we thank Thee that Obadiah speaks in terms that we can understand today. And may we, O God, hearken to the voice of this great prophet of God. Now go with us to our homes tonight. And every night at 10.30, our Father, may our people pray. May the whole country pray at 10.30 every night across the land that Thou wilt deal with these forces that are restricting the preaching of the Word of God in this country. Help us, Father, for Christ's sake we ask it. And now may thy grace and thy mercy be upon us, both now and forever. Amen.